So it is the early 80s, and I am a kid from the Rio Grande Valley, from Edinburgh. And I came up to visit my dad, who was running uh, KVU at the time. I was in the editing bay, and I watched a cruiser bike jump over a row of cars using this crude ramp at something called Aquafest down at Auditorium Shores. And I thought to myself, if a town does this, I got to come here, and I got to move here. I moved here in 1992 and now call it home. I'm Michael Trejo, and this is I Love You So Much. Welcome to I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, a show for everyone caught up in an ongoing love affair with Austin, even if it's complicated. I'm your host, Tali Mosley. I'm Omar Gayaga. And I'm Addie Broyles, coming to you from the shores of Lady Bird Lake in the offices of the Austin American Statesman. Chicago Windler, chief meteorologist at CBS Austin, has seen a lot of bonkers weather over the last year. She came in to discuss whether it's been that unusual and what it's like working the weather beat in Austin. Does your family have a story worth publishing? One of our editors, Kristen Finan, wants to hear about it for our family mixtape series. She'll tell you all about it and what kinds of stories we're getting and what they say about our community. Hector Gonzalez, a healthy living coach from the nonprofit It's Time Texas, has some advice for staying fit in an Advice for Austinites segment. Pop culture writer Joe Gross tells us about Waco, a new miniseries starring Taylor Kitsch that you probably haven't heard about. And we'll conclude with a toast, a set of recommendations of things we feel you should be checking out right now. Let's start with Chikage, who took time out of forecasting to give us a glimpse at the life of a weather expert. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So uh, let me start with this. Uh, We've had some kind of weird Austin weather the last month, and and I'm sure you hear, is is the weather being weird right now? What's going on? Uh, We had (laughs) snow in December, and then we had this big ice freeze that was supposed to be a big snowstorm and then wasn't. Uh, like what's going is this all unusual or is this part of some bigger trend what are we seeing here so it is unusual and what's interesting is if you were to have asked me Chicago so what's our winter going to be like back in August I would have said well we're heading into a La Nina and La Nina is a pattern where the waters off the Pacific Ocean are colder than normal and typically that means our pattern would be warmer and drier here in Central Texas and as we speak now you're saying um did somebody miss the boat so typically La Niñas operate that way. But we're in a, a week La Niña. And I was actually chatting with one of my friends at the National Weather Service and saying, are you as frustrated by trying to explain this as I am? Mm-hmm. And though there's never a one-size-fits-all La Niña situation, what was expected to be a pretty lackluster winter has instead become one of the more notable winters that we've had. Um, take, for instance, December 8th, when we had 1.4 inches of snow. Was that the, or no, was it that event or was it another event? They, they all kind of blend in. Or my, my kid's favorite day ever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think that that may have been the, the when it when we really saw our first little big snow. Um, we only see snow in Austin about once every three years. Mm-hmm. We only see one inch or more of snow about once every six years. So for a lot of kids, this is their first time to be able to make a legitimate snowman. And here we are in a La Nina. So from a climate perspective, wait a second, what's going on? But what basically has been happening is we've just had all these Arctic intrusions. And instead of what in the past we've had where we'll see temperatures hover down between you know, 30, 32 degrees and we'll get a light freeze and we'll see a little bit of precip. 
and then that's it. In this case, we've had deep freezes. We've had temperatures dropping into the teens and into the 20s, and we've had 10 freezes in the month of January. So it's unusual. It's not what your typical La Nina is. But back in 1983 and 84, that winter was also a La Nina. Mm -hmm. San Antonio saw its record highest snow, 15 inches. I was living there and had that snow. Yeah. Yeah. It was was awesome. It was amazing. I mean, the Alamo and everything covered with over a foot of snow. It was crazy. Did we get that much snow up here? I think Austin got, was it four or five inches? It was much, much less. But it was a La Nina winter. So basically what you have to take away from that is even in what should be typically warmer and drier, uh, you can have exceptions. And this has been the exception. And normally La Nina's tendencies work best in terms of uh, projecting precipitation as opposed Mm -hmm. to temperatures anyway. So temperatures... December, we were spot on, like near normal. January is going to end up being a little bit colder than normal. And February, we still have yet to see. So is it easier to, I mean, it must be easier to predict the short-term weather or even 10 days out. But Absolutely. long-term weather, it sounds like is still, I don't want to say a guessing game because there are lots of scientific models that go into it, but it's less sure than your forecast every every night. Absolutely. I mean, you're basically taking into effect, you know, El Nino, La Nina, and there are different oscillations that will steer the jet stream. And a lot of times you can't predict that with much accuracy. So you might be able to say, oh, in a one-month period, it's more likely we'll see more precipitation than less precipitation. But you really can't get down to the Mm nitty-gritty. And so when you look at the Farmer's Almanac and they say, there's going to be a snowstorm on February 18th, Mm -hmm. you can't take that to the bank. You just can't. Now, now you've lived in uh, Dallas, Washington, D.C., Minneapolis. Are there peculiarities about Austin weather that you didn't see in other places? Is there anything unusual or unique about, about our weather patterns here? Absolutely. I would say, you know, on its face, you think, oh, I'm in the middle of central Texas. There's no water nearby. What could possibly go wrong, right? But as it works out, because of the fact that we're on the escarpment, basically, at the hill country to the west, and that's hillier terrain, and then flatter terrain heading down to the coast as you head southeast toward Houston. And for whatever reason, especially when it comes to flash flooding and heavy rain events, I-35 is that little sweet spot where storms just like to set up shop and just roll right through those same areas. So that's why Austin is known as being Flash Flood Alley, is because of the fact that the storms, for whatever reason, geographically, they really like I-35. And that's why we get so many flooding events. But we are still struggling with a drought. I keep hearing mentions of that pop up, which kind of surprised me. Yes. And the drought's expected to continue to get worse. We're abnormally dry technically for Austin points east, but the hill country in its entirety in moderate drought with some areas toward Burnett County points north in severe drought now. So it's been a very dry January. At this point, it's looking like it will be a fairly dry February. If we don't get our really good spring soakers that we should get, um, then the less soil moisture you have going into summer, you want to draw a conclusion? Mm. It's going to be a hot, dry. It could potentially be, yeah. yeah. And how are the lakes looking right now? So the lakes are 85% combined. Lake Travis is at 81%. Lake Buchanan is at 89%. But they've just been uh, dropping just a little bit, Mm -hmm. uh, bit by bit by bit. I mean, Mm -hmm. so we've come a long way. Mm Mm-hmm. And the low, they know. were at 30% or something at yeah, the lowest, Yeah, they right? were ridiculous oh a gosh. couple years years ago. And then, of course, we had all of the really heavy rainfall, um, but we're starting to whittle away again. Let, let's back up a bit and talk about what your actual like work day is like. You were telling us off mic earlier that mm-hmm. that people uh, don't really understand what makes up a meteorologist, that, that they there's been a kind of a shift in the industry of, of how 
uh, people in that industry are perceived? Like, kind of what's what's your typical workday like? So for me, because I'm a mom and I've got two kids, I. I don't sleep. I guess sleep is the one thing that I miss out on. So my day starts out, my alarm, and I've got it down to the moment, down to the second, 6.38 in the morning, my alarm goes off. My husband's already awake at that point. He's gotten breakfast for my oldest daughter. And my job is to get her out the door and on the bus. So 6.38, I wake up, I get ready, I make sure she's got her lunch packed, I get her backpack, we walk to the bus stop. She gets on the bus at exactly 6.58. I love to run, so typically that's my time to get out the door and go run. So I'll try and run maybe six miles or so. But then my second daughter has preschool at nine o'clock. So we have to get her to preschool by nine o'clock. So basically I've got between seven and about 8.30 to go run, go get ready. And then I've got to get my second daughter ready, lunch, off to school. Then she heads to preschool and then I've got a little bit of a break. So typically for me, mornings are just running errands, you know, Mm -hmm. grocery store, whatever I can do, uh, busy work, cleaning, I don't like cleaning, but yeah, cleaning. Um, but my, my actual work day starts at 2 o'clock. We have an afternoon meeting where we all talk. I will give a weather briefing. What what weather stories might affect our newscasts? Will it be a quiet weather day or will it be a day where they need to dedicate reporters to perhaps severe weather coverage, winter weather coverage, whatever it might be? Um, after that, the news reporters will all do their story pitches and they'll go out and do their stories at that point. So as soon as I'm done with the, the afternoon meeting, then I go back into the weather center. I'll dive into the weather computer models and I'll I'll put together my forecast, which typically I like to spend at least an hour, sometimes two, just looking at all the different computer models and fine-tuning my forecast and making my graphics. We've got a, basically, I always tell people it's like glorified PowerPoint. <laughs> if you can do that, you mm-hmm. can make weather graphics. <laughs> type, in, type in the numbers every type day Type in the change. numbers yeah. and boom, there they go. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing I typically do is get ready for myself. So when I come into the station, typically no makeup, my hair's not done, I'm not dressed, I'm just wearing street clothes. But then at work, I'll have, you know, seven or ten outfits just on a clothes rack where I'll choose whatever color I feel like wearing. I'll put my makeup on. I'll do my hair. And the goal is to be ready in time for either taping promos before the newscasts or to go on the air at five o'clock. Mm-hmm. But, it, but if there is a severe weather event, you're going to be on like pretty exactly. nonstop throughout the yeah. night. And there, there have been times, uh, Wimberley, for instance, was a good example, that Memorial Day flooding episode where at nine in the morning, the following day after Wimberley, following after uh, Wimberley weekend, if I'm not mistaken, we already had severe storms blowing up. And so I was in. Um, mm-hmm. And on a weekend, I'll come in if it gets bad enough. So mm-hmm. your, your schedule can kind of flex. So then you do the six o'clock and 10 o'clock and feed your kids in between. I do. Yeah. <laughs> so I do five, six, six thirty, and then go home for dinner break. Uh, my husband, is an amazing cook, so fortunately he takes care of that in the equation. I stuff my face, and then I get bath time and bedtime, kiss the girls goodnight, and then I head back in for the show. One thing you also mentioned is you're doing a Facebook Live after each after that 10 p.m. broadcast, yes. and that really illuminates something that's going on you've been doing for a while with social media, just really engaging with, with your viewers on different platforms. Can you talk about how that's changing in the industry as a whole and how you know, basically meteorology isn't just a one-channel platform. You know, you're not just doing it on TV anymore. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think it's very clear with social media. It's not appointment television like things used to be. It's not, oh, I've got to turn on the TV. It's 5 o'clock. I've got to get my forecast. No, if you want your forecast, you can get it from an app. You can get it on the web. You can get it from so many different channels. But I want you to get it from me. So with that said, typically I'll try and post something in the morning, weather-related or what I'm doing that morning. And then I'll just try to try to trickle in a couple of little forecasts 
forecast elements through the day. But my big thing that I like to do is after my workday is done, I've done my 10 o'clock newscast. I'm not putting any more weather graphics together. My forecast is solid. And it's kind of my time to kind of unwind. So I do what I call Chicks Chats, uh, which is on Facebook Live. I'll do it over on my Facebook page as well as CBS Austin's Facebook page. And this is my chance to kind of go through the 10 o'clock forecast, but do it in a more slow fashion where if Mm -hmm. people say, hey, what about Fredericksburg? I say, so Fredericksburg, here's what I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. Or if they say, hey, is that storm really going to be as bad? Or I've heard this is going on. This is the chance for me to interact with viewers and vice versa for people to get more than what they just saw on the news for three minutes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's 30 minutes where it's not just shout outs to everybody who's who's chiming in, but also answering specific questions. And then oftentimes, probably more often than not, um, we go off on tangents where (laughs) the other day it was talking about popular TV shows back in the 80s and 90s. (laughs) And that kept us going for a long time. Now, I'm wondering, is some of that audience like these sort of hardcore, extreme weather nerds, people who are like obsessed with the weather and what's going on with it. We do have some of those. And then just because I've lived all over the country, I have some um, some loyal fans who will check in. There's, you know, people from Minnesota and from Boston. Oh, that's like they from, follow you. Yeah, they who follow, follow me. You. That's yeah, awesome. Indiana. I mean, <laughs> um, so it's so nice. So and then obviously my core group of Austinites as well. Uh, but it's really nice because then we can oftentimes talk more about instead of just local weather, we can talk about what's going on nationally or globally. Or if there's a big weather event, for instance, um, We've been talking about the lunar eclipse, so that's another element that people can get more information about. Is there one coming up? Actually, it will have happened by the time. Yes. Oh. Well, it means I need to watch your news. And, and I think we have like a like a blood moon or something happening recently. Yeah. Or, yeah. Well, so it's it's Wednesday, but but isn't that cool? I mean, I'm just <laughs> it amazed. Will have that just it, happened. Yes. You know, you do so much more than weather, though. I mean, I, I had never really really been around a lake system like we had here. So mm-hmm. when I moved to Central Texas, I was amazed at how much we were keeping track of the lake levels. You know, yes, and and just the lunar eclipse that you were talking about. I, I mean, I know meteorology is related to all of those things, but the, it's just so much more than like should I have an umbrella to go to school today. I think that we as meteorologists have kind of um, morphed and transformed Mm -hmm. from just being, what do I wear? Is it going to rain? Mm -hmm. But being more about um, being a station scientist, Mm -hmm. um, letting you know how different things such as drought are developing or what the next astronomical event that you need to be um, interested in or to know about might be. The allergy count. Um, Yes, pollen. How people engage with nature is really what you're helping us sort through. And then when it becomes news, like Hurricane Harvey, like that dominates everything for weeks. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So what I'll often do when I'm putting together my forecast is just nuts and bolts. I'll I'll write down little things like, oh, you know, next week is going to be a full moon. And I'll look up and I'll see what the cool full moon name is, you know, like the wolf moon or the That's strawberry cool. moon or whatever it might be. And uh, and then I'll try and think of other things that might be good, like viewer takeaways. Yeah. You know, what is something, you know, obviously you want to know if it's going to rain or if it's not going to rain, but what would be the thing that you would go and say, hey, did you guys hear about this? It's coming up next week. You guys really need to do this. Now, um, you, you've lived in all these different markets and, and then you came to Austin with your family. What's that transition been like? like what's, it, what's Austin been like for your family? What kinds of things have you gotten involved with since you've been here? Austin has been wonderful for our family. I mean, it's the for me, it's the perfect intersection of a weather climate community where 
it's not boring. There's always something. It's never the same thing <laughs> twice. I have lots of challenges professionally, uh, but not so many challenges that I can't enjoy my family. Mm-hmm. And that's really the balance I wanted to strike. You know, having grown up in Oklahoma and Tornado Alley, I can vouch for the fact that meteorologists there babysit radar more than they babysit mm-hmm. their children. Mm-hmm. And that's not the way that I wanted to live my life. So I love the fact that we have 300 days out of the year that are sunny and beautiful, and maybe 60 days out of the year that could either be anything from inconvenient to life-threatening. So those are the days when it's go time for me. And when it's not, that's when I get to enjoy my family. And, you know, my, my youngest daughter was born in Indiana. My oldest daughter was born in Minnesota. And so they both got a little cold blood in them. But here in Austin, it's just we've all just fallen in love with Central Texas. It's great. You know, we get outdoors. We get to enjoy I run. That's my thing. I, I could run all day. Um, part of getting in shape after having uh, both of my kids actually mm-hmm. was put them in the dogging stroller. Let's Push hit the em. trail. Yeah. Um, so I'm getting ready for my third marathon, Austin Marathon, coming up on February 18th. Um, and then just as a family, we just we love just going and enjoying the, all the things that there are to offer, like Balcones Canyonlands is beautiful, um, just getting outside, and then all of the food options, and it's just so convenient here. It's a great you know? place for kids, for sure. We are they, they going to be little weather nerds, or are they already? So here's the thing. I thought it was interesting. My oldest daughter, she's in fourth grade. She has for a long time been saying, oh, mommy, I'm going to be a meteorologist when I get bigger. And so my youngest daughter, the other day, we were talking, and she was filling out a book about me. And so amongst it, the choices were, you know, what, what would be your career? And I said to her, Zaley, what would you like to be when you grow up? And I wasn't sure what she would say, but I kind of thought she would say, I want to be just like you, mommy. And instead, I'm trying to remember what it was exactly. I, it was something to do with like Barbie and fashion design. If I'm <laughs> so not something different. Yeah, it was definitely something different. Um, uh, let's close out on this. What, what is the most common thing people ask you that's, that's weather related? Like, what's the question you get all the time? So... I was going to say the most common thing they ask me in general would be about my name because mm. Chicago is very unusual. So let me answer that first. Okay. Um, Chicago is Japanese. Most people think Native American because they're like, oh, you're from Oklahoma. You must be Native mm. American. I'm not. I'm half Japanese. Mm. And Chicago was the name of an actress that was popular back in the 60s. So my mom and dad really liked her movies and named me after her. Mm. Um, weather-wise, I would say a lot of people will ask me about you know severe weather because that's kind of my bread and butter. Mm-hmm. I mean, I growing growing up in Tornado Alley, I'm thinking everybody's fascinated by tornadoes, you mm-hmm. know. And so I get a lot of questions about, you know, have you ever been in a tornado? What's it what's it like? <laughs> and I'll tell them I've never actually been in a tornado, but I chased tornadoes yeah. with a research project when I was in school, and I can't I mean, I would never do it again because I don't think it's very safe, but having been within a mile or two miles of a tornado and being able to see it on radar and being able to track it with a group of scientists, um, that's about the best education you could possibly get for this career. Wow. Well, Chicago, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate it. And uh, I hope the weather stays nice. We're recording on a really beautiful day today. Yeah, let's bring it. Whether it came together biologically or by choice, every family is completely unique and has a story. And Statesman Travel and Feature Editor Kristen Finan wants to read yours. She visited the studio to tell us about her new series, Family Mixtape. Thanks so much for coming in, Kristen. Of course. So you are overseeing this project called Family Mixtape. Tell us a little bit about what your vision is for it. 
So I'm really excited about this new series that we're doing, and we take submissions from anybody that, that has a story to tell, but the idea is that it is stories of family. So any kind of story of family, it can be about motherhood, it can be about a sibling relationship, it can be about adoption, it can be about people in your life that you've adopted as families. It could be anything, but just any story that kind of goes to that theme um, of family. And where did this idea originate? So last May, I was in a show called Listen to Your Mother, and that is specifically um, a group of women reading, and sometimes men too, but people reading stories about motherhood. And when I read an essay at that event and met all of these other amazing people, I realized that while everybody's stories were so different and there were just completely different themes for each submission, um, this idea of being a family and persevering and overcoming these things that end up becoming the building blocks of your life, there's just this commonality too and there's these things that tie all of us. So in that experience and in meeting all of these really incredible people, um, it really kind of just made me think, like, I want to hear more stories like this, and I want a forum for stories like this. And that's where the idea for Family Mixtape kind of came. What I love about this is this is not just for people who are established writers, who who already have bylines, or who much less already work at the newspaper. I mean, you want to hear from people all across Central Texas, or maybe even beyond. Um, and, and I mean, I, I think that blogging, that's one of the reasons why I've always been so drawn to people who choose to, to start blogs, is that they're using that as a platform to publish a lot of these essays. My mom just posted a blog post the other day that would be perfect for this kind of series. She doesn't live here, but, um, you know, just meditations on what it's like being a grandmother, you know, of of kids. And so that's what I think that you're trying to encourage. And I would like to encourage listeners here is that, you know, don't, don't sell yourself short. You know, I think we all have stories to tell. We probably all have lots of stories to tell. And Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of kind of sitting down and writing, which I know can be really intimidating for people who don't write every day. What exactly are you looking for in terms of specifics, word count, and how would people reach out to you and tell you that they would like to write an essay, or do you want essays just already completed? Yeah, I mean, I think we can go, ideally they'll be finished, and the length, you know, it can vary, it can be something as short as 500 words, or it could be up to like 1,500, depending on what you have to say, and I mean, yeah, I just, even if you don't have that confidence, or if you've never had anything published, just like you said, you know, we want to hear your story anyway. And sometimes those will be the most touching and incredible stories that someone might tell. It's the story you're kind of born to tell. And so if you've thought about it or you think somebody else could benefit from it, then just submit it. You know, the worst that can happen is we don't run it. But, you know, I really, really want this to be a forum for everybody, as you said, not just writers. So, you know, you can just email it to me. Um, my email address is kfinan, K-F-I-N-A-N at statesman.com. And I'd love to read it. That's so great. Um, Kristen, where can we find some of your awesome essays? You've you've written some amazing essays yourself on families and family transitions. Is there one place online that we can go? Yeah, I mean, you can read. I've written, um, one of the things I've written a lot about is being a foster parent and kind of my history with that and the ups and downs we experienced. And so if you go to mystatesman.com slash foster care, you'll find a bunch of those uh, stories right there. That's a perfect place for inspiration, for sure. Um, I think that any one of our listeners could go and check one of those out and get a sense of the storytelling that you are looking for. So thanks so much for coming in today. Of course. And please send those submissions. Do you plan 
plan to live a healthier lifestyle in 2018? We do too. To help, we invited Hector Gonzalez, a living healthier coach from It's Time Texas, to give us some motivation. Advice for Austinites starts now. Welcome to the studio, Hector. Thank you very much. Thank so, you for having me. We are so happy to have you here. So tell us a little bit about It's Time Texas. Well, It's Time Texas, it's a nonprofit that tries to help especially with uh, that we believe that every Texan deserves to lead a healthy life. We are working to tackle the health crisis regarding chronic preventable diseases like heart disease, type 2 diabetes, COPD, and similar. We offer initiatives that, and free tools to help people be healthier in schools, in their workplaces, and in their communities and families. And, well, one of the ways we help individuals and families is through our free health coach, uh, health coaching helpline that it is living healthier. Got it. So you basically, if you're trying to get healthier, this is a really great all-purpose website to find things to read. I'm sure um, you've got audio content, video content, all kinds of different ways to reach people who are on a quest for better health. Exactly. We have a series of videos that where we share, okay, whenever you go to the store, what kind of things you need to look for, how to read, especially the uh, the food uh, information on the back of the of the bags and everything. Also, some some tips on how to shop at, uh, at the farmers market, mm -hmm. or also if at the moment you have troubles, you also we also have resources on how to access food banks and also links to uh, to find. Uh, some of these resources that could be helpful for your nutrition. This is fascinating. I get a lot of these questions through work, you mm -hmm. know, just how do I shop healthier, things like that. So um, one of the things that you specifically do are motivational interviews mm -hmm. with people all over the state. And so we thought we would have Omar ask Hector. <laughs> Well-known non-fitness person. <laughs> a, uh, you know, if you have any questions about your health, if you hypothetically were calling It's Time Texas... Yeah, what question I, would you have for Hector? I have one because I feel like I'm sort of on the right track um, this year because I, I, um, over the holidays I was able to kind of find a fitness routine that's mm -hmm. been working for me of just doing like every other day and running um, and, and eating a little bit better and not, mm -hmm. you know, not as much snacking and not you know, huge meals before bed. Um, so I feel like I've gotten into some good habits, but now I'm worried that as things get busier this year that I'm going to fall off track or kind of get demotivated because as things get busier. I, South by Southwest is coming up. Mm -hmm. Like that's my time when like I start eating junk and not having time to take care of myself. So how do I maintain the good habits that I'm starting to develop and not lose my motivation to kind of stay on that track? Well, first than anything, Congratulations on those new habits. I mean, <laughs> Thank you. that's a really, really fantastic thing. The, one of the challenging times for many people is during the holidays where they feel like, well, I need to go to all these uh, events and I need to just indulge. You manage to find what works for you. And that's the important part. Now, what made you initially trying to be more conscious about that? Um, looking at pictures of myself and, and seeing a puffy, <laughs> out-of-shape person mm -hmm. with no energy. Um, and also just that I, I have never been a runner. I've never been, you know, gotten into it. And just all of a sudden, it's something just clicked where I was like, oh, okay, I, I get it now. I get how to do this and do longer distances. So that both of those things sort of clicked at the same time. And that's fantastic. And I hear that you're doing running. You're also trying to snack less. What other things are working for you right now? Um, right, right now it's that I have, I feel like I have time to do it. Like I, like I can take an hour and go running or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm worried that as things get busier, as my schedule fills up through the year that I'm going to lose that 
time and motivation that I'm going to be like, oh, I don't have time to do it. I can't get to the gym today. It's, I'm too busy. And then I'm just going to fall off track completely. Well, one thing that you mentioned that is very important is you have a big fuel for your motivation. What made you feel? How did you felt when you saw those puffy pictures? <laughs> <laughs> not, not great. Not, not, not very good esteem about that. But that started something that pretty much said, hey, I need to do something. Correct. So maybe keep the puffy pictures around <laughs> around me constantly. If that works, that's perfect because find what are the things that are keeping you going on. What's the part of that fire that is just making you feel, oh, this is something that I need to do. And one thing that you have mentioned, you already have some strategies that are working for you. Like you mentioned, okay, w uh, running and everything. Think about that. How can you include running on a daily basis. You have been doing that these days. How can you little by little add that on those days that are a little bit harder? Hmm. That That's a good idea. <laughs> I had not thought of trying to do stuff every day. The other thing that you mentioned, snacking. That's another thing that you mentioned. Now, have you managed to completely stop snacking or do you snack something healthier? It's hard. Addie knows this too. We work in a newsroom where there's constantly food, people putting, you know, snacks and cookies and things on tables, birthdays, there's always food around. And I sit right next to a table where mm -hmm. a lot of the food. So it's like, it's hard not to just like reach over and grab something through the day. Mm -hmm. um, my strategy during the holidays was just like, just don't do it. Just d avoid it entirely. Um, I don't know if that's sustainable for long term to never snack, but I've definitely gotten better about just saying no to like a, a slice of cake. It helps in different things. I mean, some people tend to say, okay, no at all, and that works for them. But find what works specifically for the kind of things that you do along the day. Maybe one day you feel a little snackish, but try to find things that are not as damaging or try to read on the back of the label. How much does it cost to me on my health? How much can I, uh, how can I say, how can I substitute it? You see, oh, well, this is about maybe walking a little bit, 10 more minutes today. Maybe I can do that. Hmm. So, Omar, what do you think? Are you feeling, do you have a couple of ideas that you didn't have before you and Hector started talking? I think so. I think I've been thinking of things in terms of scheduling, like, oh, if I have run, I need an hour to do it, and I need it, you know, on this on these particular days to keep motivated. I think if I were to spread it out a little bit more where it's like, okay, if I miss a day, it's fine because I'm going to run tomorrow anyway. I think doing more constant and less, trying to schedule it out where it has to fit perfectly into my schedule might, mm -hmm. might be a good strategy. In many cases, it's just set your goal, you may be saying, okay, I want to run about maybe 15 miles this week. And you say, maybe I'll just sp uh, spread it in three days. Or maybe one of those days doesn't happen, but you can shift those days around. You can give yourself time. And more importantly, remember that what you're doing right now, it's for you and it's fantastic. It does, in many cases, we tend to be very hard on ourselves whenever we try to find change. We see those videos that, oh my God, he changed in six months. Yeah, he changed. But you, it will be a different process. And whenever it happens, you will be loving it. Yeah, that is, that's me to a T. I'm I very hard on myself if I miss a workout or if I feel like I didn't get it done that day. I really beat myself up about it. So I will try to be nicer to myself. Oh, that's yeah. great advice. Love okay. yourself. So I want to ask a couple more questions before we let you go, Hector, just about um, you answer a lot of these questions every day and you're very good at it. You're, mm -hmm. you, you, you yeah, listen I feel, really well. <laughs> I actually feel like better and more motivated <laughs> for real. Thank you. Because um, you get to the heart of why people are on this journey in the first place, not mm -hmm. just the how and the what. So what if you have 
any reflections on the nature of the questions that you answer or people's feelings and, and how they talk to you about this health journey? I mean, some, what are some of your insights that you've had over the course of doing this job? One of the things that I notice a lot is that people, they have this big desire of changing. However, in many situations, we don't give ourselves enough credit of the small changes that we make. Some people may say, well, how does just not eating uh, three pieces of bread instead of one, does that change? It's a change. It's a step. It's how you go. It's one of the things that I tend to say, just go little by little and then just start moving faster and faster and faster. In many situations, you just need to give yourself that start and then believing in yourself. Mm -hmm. And believing in yourself, it's one of the trickiest parts at one moment because maybe you have been beating yourself on how you feel or how things are. It's just, in many cases, one of the things that I feel that we do a lot on the service we try to be that helpful friend, that person that over the phone tells you, you're doing this great. Mm. You are going, okay. It's like this virtual hug that we give over the phone and tell you, you're doing fine. We can keep going. Let's keep going. That's what we all need. That's, That's so We got it. <laughs> well, you just do it one day at a time. You uh, know? Exactly. H Hector, how can people reach this very helpful service? How, how can people get you and, and, and find you? Well, we have the phone line, the helpline, that it is 1-844-262-6224. Also, you can find some of the resources, or if you want us to, to schedule a call with us, you can find us at our website, that it's itstintexas.org slash LH for living healthier, and we will give you a call back. We will chat with you. We'll help you reach the goals that you want to reach. And one of the important things you set up your own pace. We don't set you like, okay, tomorrow you'll run a marathon. <laughs> no, you run your own race at your own pace. Now, this must cost lots of money because it sounds very expensive. How, how much do, are you charging people for this? This is completely free. It's oh, free. What? It's a nonprofit? <laughs> exactly. Oh, there free, we go. confidential, and more importantly, takes only a couple of minutes of your day. That's so great. Thanks for coming in, Hector. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me over. <laughs> hey, and I want to make a quick little plug for Hector's Instagram. He's at Mexicanity, and if you ever want culinary inspiration, go follow Hector. Thank you. <laughs> Austin 360's Joe Gross visited us to talk about Waco, a new miniseries about David Koresh on the Paramount Network. Never heard of that channel? You are not alone. So, Joe, what is Waco? This is like the time life, uh, what is Vietnam question that a yeah. child might ask. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what, is, what is this miniseries Waco I'm hearing about? Well, it's a miniseries that's airing on the new Paramount Network. The um, what now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah come again. It's, uh, you know, it's it's this new entity called the Paramount Network. I believe it was the uh, artist formerly known as Spike TV. Oh. oh. I think. Okay. Is it a pivot in content or is it still Don't ever bro -y? use that word around me again. <laughs> their it's logo the should. worst. Mm, Joe, are they pivoting their content? No. Mm. Their logo should say Paramount, <laughs> formerly Spike TV, because then everybody would know. Yeah. I, I mean, I. I think that's what it is. I'm pretty sure. Okay, so this um, is a miniseries this is airing. This is a miniseries airing on the Paramount Network starring um, Taylor Kitsch. Love him. As David Crash. As David Crash. Uh, they just, you know, he looks like he lost a few pounds and they slapped a mullet on him and he's great. Um, 
I interviewed him, uh, I don't know, maybe a week or so ago, and... Mm, so did we, <laughs> like a, two years a ago. A year or so ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, uh, you know, um, it was interesting to ask him at one point, so did you know anything about, like, you're Canadian. Did right. you know anything about this? He's like, I was a kid at the time, and I remember seeing the footage of Mount Carmel going up in flames, but I didn't really know anything about the story. Yeah. And then when I got this, it was like, oh, this guy's really interesting mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, kind of messed up and awful. Now, what surprised me when we were talking about this movie off mic, this miniseries off mic, was that, I mean, he's a pretty big star. We all know who he is. Mm-hmm. There's some other big stars in this, too. And for it to be such a low profile. Yeah. Thing. The gal who plays sort of his primary partner, um, Koresh took many sp- spiritual wives i'm making air quotes at the moment on a podcast like an idiot spiritual (laughs) yes um and uh but his primary partner is uh played by the young woman who plays supergirl whose stars seems to be rising and whose last name i can never ben ben was benoist melissa benoist something like i don't know um but yeah, she's she's great, and um, Michael Shannon is in what? this. What? Oh, as, uh, immediate. Yeah, you're sold. I will watch anything um, he does. He is play. He plays a gentleman named Gary Nasser, uh, who um, was the lead FBI negotiator at the time. Okay, that's he, good casting. Yeah, he's sort of the hero of the piece in that he recognizes that you know mistakes were made at Ruby Ridge, and let's see if we can avoid making the same mistakes at Waco. And instead, they made all new mistakes, and um, you know, giant disaster. Ma- it was a, it was awful, uh, and you know, has inspired. You know, Waco has inspired countless conspiracy theories, four documentaries, a couple of like, do- you know, TV documentary episode stabs at this. It was an awful, complicated, weird story, and. Um, it's uh the the miniseries is not bad. It's pretty TV movie-ish. Okay. Like yeah, I, I want to ask you, I want to stop you right sure. there and go back to Omar's question. What is Waco? Can we can you tell us what the beginning and ends, just rough timeline? Are they looking at David Koresh's whole life? Like when does he come onto the scene? Is he already kind of getting his followers together? Are they at the compound? Yeah, it's not a, it's not really a biopic. It's okay. a, it's about the event. It's about okay. the So the it siege. is set. It's pretty set. Okay. Uh, siege at I mean they get in a little bit to his background, but it's pretty much about the siege at Mount Carmel outside of Waco in uh, 1993, which people forget went on for like nearly two months. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was a kid when it was happening. And um, I remember like, God, I mean, that was it just seemed like that was all that was on TV ever. The standoff. For, the standoff. For yeah, weeks. The siege, yeah. 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 And it. Yeah, it was it was bizarre and mm-hmm. brutal and unpleasant. So how many part? of a miniseries is this does this go on and on for weeks and weeks or I think it's six parts <laughs> okay. but now I can't remember like I've dro- I, so, I meant to write that down before I came so on. shorter than a Stranger Things but yeah. longer than a, what's a yeah I gotta I'm I'm, I'm sorry longer than to, Chappelle's yeah, <laughs> I, I, things on I need to double check that let's come to let's come back to Taylor Kitsch because okay. um, I want to ask about his performance because I feel like sometimes actors like him play against type um, 
like, um, do you guys remember when Arnie Hammer played the twins in Social Network? Oh, the Winkle Bosses. Yeah, yeah, and it was, it was like, it was a great casting decision on his part because it was sort of just a goofy, unflattering role, you know. And this is something completely different here. But Taylor Kitsch is always. Um, I don't know, just can't help but being kind of heartthrobby and associated with Friday Night Lights. Well, he's so good looking and charismatic sort of naturally that it's actually a really good fit Mm. because Koresh is a cult leader. And there's always sort of a, or was a cult leader rather, and there's always sort of this... Magnetism. You know, yeah, there's there's a, a great deal of charisma involved in convincing a whole bunch of people that you're the Messiah. Yeah. And, uh... And you should, you know, be sleeping with all of the, you know, all of the, all of the people. <laughs> it's uh, not easy. No, it's it's not it's not easy running a large cult. Uh, so how does he do? How does he pull that off? He does a he does a good job. He does a good job, sort of figuring out that this guy is was probably brilliant, something of an auto well, almost entirely an autodidact. Like he was almost he was he was born to a mother who was fourteen years old. And he was out of the house as a young teenager and sort of bummed around for a while and fell in with these sort of breakaway Seventh-day Adventists and, you know, became their leader and ended up, you know, sort of violently vying for power in this organization and running it. And um, uh, it just became this, you know, kind of bizarre, awful thing. So let's let's close with this. We... um Speaking of conspiracy theories, what are our conspiracy theories about why this is so low? Pro- why nobody's hearing about this miniseries? Like this, is, the first time I heard about it was your story. You know, interviewing Taylor Kitsch. Mm. Like, why is this so under the radar and low profile that nobody's heard of it? Um, I think that it's good, not great, and I think they. I think Paramount. I don't have it. I have zero evidence of this. I'm just my gut is telling me. For the same reason, you don't see a lot of promotion for other things that. You know, some an executive decides at some level this is fine, but it's not going to be a breakout. Um, I think it's a deep state. I think I think this one goes all the way to the top. <laughs> that uh, Mueller and his team sent some texts and demoted this. You know, any other year, I would I would have doubts about your <laughs> yeah, theory. Totally. This year, sure, why not? It's Let's yeah, go with that. Why, sure, of course. Well, Let's Joe, do it. Joe, thank you for telling us about Waco. Waco airs Wednesday nights on. The Paramount Network. I'm not making this up. The Paramount, formerly Spike TV <laughs> Network. Uh, check it out. Let us know what you think of it. Um, and it should be going on for at least a few more weeks. I think they're only on the second episode, right? Right. They're only on the second one. We'll check it out. Let us know because I probably won't have time to watch it. a toast where we recommend some stuff we feel you should be checking out. We have Chicago back with us to talk about recommendations. Uh, but Addie, you want to get us started? I would love to. So I, the new season of Grace and Frankie just launched on Netflix. We're into season four. This is obviously uh, Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin's latest project. I did not really have a strong connection with either of those, of those actresses. I mean, I'm a millennial here, but I am in love with this show about two older women who have started a vibrator company. And Wait, say what? <laughs> that, I didn't know that's where the show went. I you only watched it? Oh, the yeah, first yeah. season. Oh, yeah. So I guess the premise of the show was that these two women didn't really like each other and their husbands left them for each other. So their husbands are now in a relationship. 
that all got out of the way in the first season. And all the, you know, they ironed out a lot of those kinks. And it was a really poignant season about relationships and marriage and, you know, marriages that are happy, marriages that don't meet your expectations, but also marriages that last a long time and are fulfilling in different ways. So that was first season. And then the second season, they start getting into this entrepreneurial effort to basically empower older women because their lives certainly did not end that they, I mean, the whole point is basically they are divorcees who are finding their way in their 70s and having to recreate themselves and find out, you know, they're dating and they're launching a business and they're, they've got these kids, this whole slew of kids, Brooklyn Decker of Austin. She's one of the daughters. Baron Bonds in it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, he's, they're, uh, they're uh, brothers. The Lily Tomlin's kids. Anyway, so they just, uh, it's a great family, multi-generational comedy, and the episodes are short and sweet and snappy, and Marta Kaufman is one of the um, producers, and she did Friends. So if you liked Friends way back in the 90s, you will love Grace and Frankie. And this is on Netflix. On Netflix. I mean, I just presume that everybody's watching Grace and Frankie, but I forget that maybe it's not, not me. as common. I've as, never heard of it. Oh, it's so, you will laugh out loud, loud funny. So, Chicago, do you want to go? Sure. So what I'm going to do is talk about one of my favorite towns, which is Georgetown. We love going there. Just It's quaint. The square is wonderful. But we also love the food. And last time we went up there, we tried a new restaurant that just opened up there, just off the square that's called Blue Corn Harvest. And my favorite thing to get there is the seafood enchiladas. But everything we've ever had is just incredible. It's great Mexican food. It's like the atmosphere of the restaurant is gorgeous. They also have another location in Cedar Park. So this is our new place that we've gone to. But if we're just going for lunch, um, Sweet Lemon, there's an inn and a restaurant. It's a beautiful little cafe just across the street. If you feel like barbecue, Black Box bar- Barbecue, Black Box Barbecue is a great food trailer. Um, if you want ice cream, you can go to All Things Kids. And behind the toy store at the very back, they've got all these flavors of ice cream. We honestly could practically live on the square in Georgetown. We love it so much. So you'll just drive up there for an afternoon, it sounds like. Yeah, we will. And then Red Poppy Festival with mm. the parade and the music and all of that. We always love doing that, too. So Georgetown's just one of my favorite close-to-home places to visit. It's a great recommendation. So, okay, Georgetown Omar. Visitors Bureau, you are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been into, Omar? Um, I just finished a book um, from Steve. I, I typically read every Stephen King book that comes out, and this one, somehow, I missed it. Uh, I think I got it from our book drop in the newsroom from 2012 and just put it aside and just never came back to it. It is a Dark Tower book called uh, The Wind Through the Keyhole. And uh, the Dark Tower series is over. It's been over for a long time, but apparently he wrote another book sort of set in between two of those books. Um, and it's sort of, it's, it's a standalone story. And, I, you know, I completely missed it. I was like, I don't really need to read that. I read all the Dark Tower books. Uh, but this one is sort of a story within a story within a story. Uh, Roland, the gunslinger, is telling this uh, his group of uh, people that he's adventuring with a story from his youth, but within the story about the youth, there's a. He's telling a story about his own youth, but within that story, there's a fairy tale within that. So mm-hmm. it's like Stephen King doing, you know, Inception, like a story <laughs> within a story within a story. Um, but the the actual fairy tale that he tells is really beautiful and really a great kind of fable, and it's sort of in the vein of if you've ever read The Eyes of the Dragon, which was sort of Stephen King's fairy tale novel. Uh, it's very much in that sort of um, language and cadence um and he's really good when he does that like you mm-hmm. he, i don't think he gets enough credit for the stuff that he does that's more in the fantasy uh you know childhood sort of realm so the wind through the keyhole if you missed it like i did in 2012 it stands right alongside the dark tower books if you saw the dark tower movie and thought it was terrible go back to the books they're much better <laughs> um the wind through the keyhole it's a great recommendation thanks omar thanks guys That's our show. She's Addie. He's Omar. I'm Tali. 
check out the Austin 360 Instagram and Facebook for more about life in Austin. And talk to us on Twitter at loveaustin360. I love you so much. The Austin 360 podcast is produced by Alyssa Vidales. The show is made with support from features editor Sharon Chapman and the entire Austin 360 staff. Our theme music is from local band Hardproof, which you should definitely check out at hardproofmusic.com. You can find more about the show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. And if you want to pitch an idea for the show or give us feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com or leave a voicemail at 512-445-3672. This show is brought to you by our sponsor, Plexus of Austin. We couldn't do this show without you, dear listener, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and your hi, how are you coffee mugs. Until next week, we'll see you snapping selfies on SoCo. 